We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Aikman is intercepted by Sam Mills. Steve Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. Newton steps up, close to the end zone. Olsen, touchdown! Touchdown by Moore. And in the foot race, McCaffrey to the end zone. He pounded on three. One, two, three. He oh, it's a Panthers therapy session Wednesday with your friend John. The doctor's in. I've got my notepad. I've got the sofa ready. Pull up a seat. Relax. We'll see how you take my counseling. And yeah, we know the story. We know the gloom and doom side of this. A one and three start for the Carolina Panthers. But we're here to give you a little bit of perspective that hopefully won't put you too down in the depths of hell and might even give you reason to see some positives moving forward. At least we'll hope to do that. John Ellis is my name. Thank you so much for spending your day with me on a Wednesday. Man, it's already Wednesday. It's October 5th, for crying out loud. Slow down this fall calendar. Anyway, Carolina is 1-3. They lose to Arizona on Sunday, 26-16. That's 24 straight losses by Matt Rule and the Carolina Panthers in games in which they score 17 or less points. They almost got to 17. They <laughs> damn near got to 18. But it was really never that close in the final few minutes. Uh, game was damn close throughout. Got some thoughts on what I saw on tape. I've watched it twice. Once offense, once defense. Did a rerun on both and then took a peek at uh, the old special teams unit, which uh, I'd have all, you know, the respect in the world for Chris Tabor and his two kicking specialists right now. I mean, Eddie Pinheiro has made 26 straight field goals dating back to previous years into this year. Johnny Hecker continues to do his job. Try to fake punt. Got to like that. Want to focus for about 30 minutes on the offense. Want to focus for about 30 minutes here, particularly on the offense. We'll touch on defense. I mean, the name of the game right now for Carolina is they can't move the chains. And a big part of the reason they can't move the chains is they lack a great deal of efficiency and command in the passing game. 
And then you start to peel that onion back and, and find out why. And a big part of the reason has been the quarterback, Baker Mayfield, who, to his ever-loving credit, has never had a beginning stretch of a season quite this bad. Now, statistically, you could look at it and say, well, he's still, I think, four touchdowns, three interceptions. Okay, that's manageable. Those interceptions came in bundles last week. And why did they happen? Well, I mean, you got to look to one, the tip pass. <laughs> that's, that's a big topic today we're going to cover. It's not good enough. Yards per attempt, uh, the inaccuracies and inefficiencies in terms of stuff that's going on outside the numbers, whether it's back shoulder fades, seven routes. Occasionally, they're running nine routes, not too many. If they are, they're not uncorking it. Middle of the field's getting a little more involved in the pass game. But after looking at the tape, and I'm curious to get your perspective on this, one Panther place on Twitter, you can always find me there. I've got reason for optimism. And I'm not talking about this year particularly. I, you know, I think it's going to be a tough challenge for Carolina to make the playoffs in 2022. And I don't say just because they've lost a couple in a row here, or at least uh, you know three out of four, and had not been for LaVisca Chenault, had it not been for Frankie Louvu giving Marcus Haynes a nice piece of bread there <laughs> to take home. I mean, that's 12 points right there, plus your point afters, and there's your there's your ball game. They could be 0-4 right now. On the flip side, they could be a three-win team based on some of the miscues and mistakes. They could be 4-0. I mean, this is the NFL for you, but typically good teams win close games, at least some of them. Some of them. Carolina tends to win none of them. And if it's a close game they win, it's almost a backdoor cover in a reverse sense because they were up two or three possessions and teams come around and just squeeze in an eight-point margin. Hence, it's a one-point win or one-margin win. Uh, The negatives are clear. There is a stale vanilla milk toast component to this offense that is getting a little more advanced but there are inconsistencies as well in terms of philosophy in terms of approach it's the challenge when you bring in a new offensive coordinator after firing your old one Uh, the old one of course did not have a whole lot of experience doing this at any level coordinating an entire game calling an entire menu of plays He was a passing game coordinator at LSU, and boy, that worked out beautifully there. But Matt Rule said it was out of his comfort zone in hindsight. Ben McAdoo, after Jay Glazer's reporting in the early window of the postseason monotony that was January, made the famous report on the Fox Sunday show that David Tepper is mandating Matt Rule to find a, quote, rock star offensive coordinator. (laughs) Yeah! (laughs) Might as well jump! (laughs) I mean, and that's Glazer. I mean, Glazer's got info now. He's got the T. But, shit, none of these guys were rock stars. The one thing I said that I will stand behind. And this is last year, right after they fired Joe Brady. Billy and I did a podcast. 
And I'll use the same language now I used then. Billy, you know, kind of hinted at this as well, but I was a little more blatant about it. And examining these options, once you fire Joe Brady, whether you think that's the right answer or not, it's what Matt Rule wanted because as Greg Cosell told us a while back, Matt Rule wants to run the ball. Matt Rule wants to run the ball. Now, Greg knows there's more to it than that. There are run concepts. There are angles you can create. There are complementary run elements that do enhance your passing game to a degree. Carolina is doing none of that right now. None of it. They weren't in much of a mood to run the ball in a neutral position, I can tell you that. It's counterintuitive when you have, and we're going to get to J.J. Watt here in a minute. J.J. Watt is arguably the goat of batted passes. If you watch his tape from the Texans, it was an art form. And it didn't matter if you were 6'1", 6'6", 6'5". Just to remind you, last year, the two most batted down quarterbacks in the NFL were Justin Herbert and Josh Allen, a combined 13 feet tall. So I don't know if it's about height right here. There is a dangerously bad predictability element to the concepts they're running, some of which are RPO, some of which stack McCaffrey a little bit behind Mayfield but aren't RPO, and that's what Orlovsky was getting at in terms of tipping plays. I don't see as much of that. I just see a tendency to continue to lean into the same losing positions. So you've got concepts that involve slants. You've got concepts that involve flats. You've got concepts that involve Mayfield getting into his drop and locking in. There are not a lot of full field activities going on there in terms of reads on some of these. Now, Mayfield can read the full field, and he's done it. Problem with Mayfield is he gets into a pocket that's, you know, and it's not a ghost thing. It's not a scary thing. I think he's trying too hard to make plays. He's not afraid to take a hit, but he'll get into a relatively clean pocket, and he'll start doing old David Carr Oh, did I spell Mountain Dew on this controller darting to the left, darting to the right out of a clean pocket deal? It looks like a glitch. The feet are just bad. And, and you know, everybody's been talking about footwork. Darnold's still got a hell of a lot of work to do there. So we maybe pump the brakes on escorting Sam back into the starting lineup. You got to ask yourself in these positions, okay, what does Mayfield historically do well? Because he did have about a two-to-one touchdown-to-interception ratio when he arrived here. I believe he had about 92 touchdowns. Uh, And he had a great season back in 2020. He set the rookie touchdown record in 2018 since surpassed by Justin Herbert. 2019, offensive line challenges, coaching challenges, not all on him, but he was sloppy. And last year, there was the labrum. And as we talked with a number of people around the league on this, a left labrum injury of that degree, I don't care if you're thrown with that left arm or not, it is debilitating to the point where you cannot fully get your mechanics 
operating at the level you need to. Now, is this residual, what we're seeing? I think it's some of the same stuff we've seen in Cleveland. There are two elements that do not give Mayfield, I don't want to say the bailout, but I use the word insulation. Mayfield is not an elite elevator in terms of, oh, well, Josh Allen, you know, of course, was born on another planet, much like a Newton or a Cunningham. Tremendous size, the ability to escape, the Elway type of arm, and the ability to be a traditional runner and be a threat as an extra piece of conflict for that 11th defender. Carolina's not in that element anymore. They haven't been since they decided to part ways with Newton. So the RPO game is not designed, and I think most of you know that, the RPO is not the read, it's not the zone read, it's not the mesh, it's not veer, it's not quarterback run designs. It is a mechanism by which to initiate some conflict with the second level as well as creating some potential movement along your edges and giving guys an opportunity to hit some holes. It's not working. It's not working. J.J. Watt with the tipped pass there late in the game. Uh, I said it on the, the film study show we did the other night. I guarantee you Watt looked at the tape from week one. And even throughout the the prior weeks or the the following weeks after that, but week one in particular, and just said, "Look, guys, here's the thing: read his shoulders, read his eyes, read his positioning, get a sense of his drops, get ready to maintain a little bit of distance." Now, look, if you can get home, if you're bull rushing and you're just going after him, you could go to Mayfield and flush him out. That's good stuff. But if you want to really have a big time impact. Rush with a little bit of contain involved and get your hands up. And I think Vance Joseph really took that to heart. Now, I'm just talking theory here, but I got to believe Watt in that meeting room this week said, hey, look, guys, I've seen Baker before. I played against him in the AFC. And Vance has been around for a minute. He's coordinated a lot of defenses, good ones. And I have to imagine that they, they just collaborated and said, guys, let's make this part of the game plan. You know, we want to pin our ears back, of course. There's one rep where Corbett, I believe it's Allen, 94, the defensive tackle in slash hybrid for Arizona. He's doing a good job anchoring on 94. 94 leaves his feet about four yards behind where Mayfield's in the pocket, times it beautifully and tips the ball, prevents a big play. Of course, Corbett knocks him to the ground, but that's gravity. You get a pancake out of it. But a guy leaves his feet. He's trying to make a play there. That's a huge part of what's going on. So Mayfield right now, you look at what's going on, and I want to provide some context that, again, it's data. There's only so much you can do with this type of sample size, but it begs some questions. Through week four, Baker Mayfield has thrown one batted pass. I'm sorry, one more batted pass than he did all of last year. So let's break it down. Kevin Stefanski's offense, 2021, still very effective, even with, you know, the labrum injury. 418 pass attempts by Baker Mayfield, 11 of which were tipped. That's a 2.63 percentage. 
in terms of batted ball rate. I didn't think I didn't think in October I'd be doing a solo podcast centered around batted ball rate. Maybe brass ball rate. Get out of the basement. It's beautiful outside. Okay, so this year, Joe, once again, last year, 418 pass attempts, 11 tipped. This year, 117 pass attempts, 12 have been tipped. You know what the percentage is on that, Math Wizards? 10.26%. One out of every 10 pass attempt is getting meat hooked by somebody up front. So they're scheming for it now. You're actually, you're in a position where the passing game is so broken. No matter how tall he is. And once again, I've told you, batted passes over the years, they come from guys of all shapes and sizes. Herbert and Allen were the leaders last year. And they had 17 and 16, respectively. And then you tell me this. You say, oh, well, Mayfield's 5'10 or 5'11 or 6 foot. Shit, he's got a ton of tip passes. Well, let's dig a little deeper. All right. Let's go the distance. So let's let's have that debate. So obviously Mayfield has an epidemic, right? There's an epidemic going on with Baker Mayfield. They signed a guy who throws an extremely amount of bad tipped passes because of his arm angle, his height. Right? Right? That's what right. I mean, just before we start this, I want to make sure. Bueller? Baker Mayfield in 2019 threw 534 pass attempts, which is crazy. 20 of those were tipped. That's still pretty bad. That's 3.75%. We talked about last year, 418 pass attempts, 11 were tipped. The first year Stefanski got there, 2020, 486 pass attempts, 8 were tipped. That's 1.6%. So look at the trends. 2020, 1.6%. 2021, 2.6%. Still pretty decent. 2022, 10.2%. So what's the common denominator? Is there one? Well, you would say it's Mayfield. No, I mean, no, I don't think so. Stefanski, before he got there, wasn't awful. 3.7% in 2019 wasn't bad. Pro Football Reference wasn't tracking this in 18. I couldn't get a read on what was going on in his rookie season. But Stefanski arrives, and his tipped pass rate goes down by 2%, goes down by 12 total in the tip department in terms of quantity. Those two years under Stefanski had 19 tipped balls with nearly 950 pass drops he's got 12 now with 117 so it's a problem it's a problem it's not because of the height it is not because of the height i can tell you that it's because of the film it's because of the routes it's because of the concepts when when you're running a quick hitter play action on a fourth and one and ian thomas is out there on the end, responsible for blocking this thing. Okay? And this goes back to what we talked about again in terms of responsibilities, in terms of what you're bringing a guy in to do. 
the fourth and one play we're talking about. They're at the 25-yard line. Mayfield is in the gun. Okay. And there's no one yard back for McCaffrey. They're, they're evenly set there at the 20. The snap comes. Moore goes in motion before the snap. So you've got DJ crossing the formation a little bit. Corners playing about 10 yards off. So essentially, you've got yourself 11 personnel. You've got a slot receiver to the bottom. You've got a boundary X. And then you've got DJ up top. Reduce split inside the numbers. Inside the numbers. That would suggest that he could potentially work the boundary given the leverage. And what you end up with is the defensive end jumping up, reading the quick drop, tipping the ball, and here we go. Game, set, match, right? Game, set, match. All right, so let's look at this in depth on the batted balls. Let me give you two examples. And they, we don't have visuals here, but you go to my One Panther Place timeline, you'll see. 11-17 left in the fourth quarter. Carolina has the ball on their own 24. It's a first and 10. The score is 13-10 to 10 in favor of Arizona. Things are getting tense. Arizona's moving it a little bit, but still capitalizing on short fields, not looking great themselves operationally. So it's not as much about what Arizona's doing. It's about what Carolina's failing to do on offense, which is, uh, let's just say this, move the fucking chains because it is not that complicated. If you don't move the chains, you lose. 13-10, first and 10, fourth quarter, 24-yard line on the minus side of the field. And here's what we got. First play out of the box. It's a three-by-one set, meaning you've got three receivers to the left. You've got a tight end in line on the right. The ball is on the right hash mark. That is an indicator that if there is motion, there's going to be a tight spacing element that would lend it to believe, uh, most defensive coordinators, that that ball is likely going to be coming inside. And with the amount of glance and slants they run off of either RPO or traditional play action, it's good film study. Mayfield brings the tightest slot receiver in motion, which is more. It's a reduced split. So now in your mind, think of this. It's two by two. At the bottom of the screen, you have a boundary X receiver at the bottom. That's Robbie Anderson. You have a slot receiver. I believe that's Trimble. And he he's in a pretty wide position there, almost at the numbers. So you've got spacing. Up top, you've got it condensed. You've got a tight end in line not detached and he's right to the to the right of jj watt who is in a three-point stance in what looks to be a five technique and now you got dj moore about three to five yards removed from him to the right inside the numbers okay so he's inside the numbers the corner's playing outside technique about 10 yards off here comes the snap no play action it's a it's a quick hitch drop Mayfield immediately turns his hips when he does. Watt is is standing up, and he is licking his chops as it happens. And what does he do? He tips the ball. 45 intercepts it. Game, set, match. Takes it down to the one-yard line. That's it. No play fake, nothing. 
out of a first down. It's a three-point game. You have the best running back potentially in the NFL. You go five-man protection against four rushers. And I can't stress this enough. Mayfield, one-two, hitch, right when he does it. Watt, when he does that, is not in contact with Taylor Moten. And that's not Moten's fault. Moten is in position. Mayfield hitches, resets his body and his hips, and his throwing cone for Madden fans out there is right in Watt's line of sight. It's a gift. Watt immediately gets himself ready, waits for the release. The minute he sees him wind up, he jumps it, times it with those huge arms, and the ball's intercepted. The route intended for Moore was an out route. So again, you're you're in you're running to you're you're on the the hash closest to the far side. The field is condensed. This is why you left Moore in a condensed set. So you give him extra room. It's one more, I don't want to say tell, but it's an indicator at least. That's why the corner was an outside leverage. So there's your first one. They punch it in. It's 2010. The very next series, okay, 20 to 10. And here comes Carolina. 10-16 left in the game. They're looking to move the ball. Things are looking up. Mayfield throws a terrible pass. They bring late pressure. He had McCaffrey on an angle route that could have gone 20 yards, but he throws it in the middle of traffic between you know three or four red shirts. I don't know what the concept was here, but Tremble was nowhere close to being open. Ten minutes left, you get into a third and ten. They do a uh, old Green Bay formation. McCarthy used to run these. They have two in the backfield. They dump it to McCaffrey, who once again manufactures. 10 yards after the catch to get another first down. Outstanding by him. To answer that, Carolina gets into a fourth and one several plays later. Here we go. Nine minutes left, 938. Fourth and one. They're down by 10. They're at the Cardinal. They're at the, sorry, the Carolina 30. This is an RPO all the way. It's fourth and one, first of all. They have heavy personnel. You've got Thomas on the line with five good run blockers. You've got two wide receivers to the bottom of the screen. One is the boundary X. Again, that's Anderson. Shy Smith appears to be the slot, a little bit offset. And again, DJ Moore in a condensed split. He is right there at the numbers. They're on the right hash. He's on the right side. It's condensed. I believe they thought this was going to be an RPO glance. They bring a blitz off that side. He actually runs the out. Doesn't matter. So that's two plays in a row off an RPO or a non-RPO in that situation where it's a quick hitch. Mayfield immediately hitch, right? And it's just, they're, 94 tips the ball on a fourth and one. I believe that's Allen. So, again, I, I'm narrating this as I'm watching the tape. So, if it's a little bit stammered, that's why. Ian Thomas did not do a good job at all blocking 94. At all. And you're paying him to be that guy in that critical moment when you're down by 10. Those are the moments you got to have. 
Ian's got to be more effective in that role because obviously they're not in the mood to use his athleticism in the passing game, which is a just a disturbing trend here. I don't know what this team has to do to start thinking in terms of tight end involvement when Ian can do it. But those two plays were critically bad. All right? Critically bad. Yeah, Watt knew it. I mean, look, you could go ask him. Next time anybody's in a press conference or you see him in an airport, ask him about that time back in October they went to Carolina and played Baker Mayfield. Ask him about those tip balls. And he'll say, oh, hell yeah. You know, we know, you know Baker obviously has had a little history of that. But we watched that tape week one. We know McAdoo's concepts. We kind of understand what they're doing here. It's a lot of intermediate short stuff. West Coast quote concepts. Um, now, what's the answer? I gave you the problem. What's the answer? T- to me, you avoid the tip balls with just some basic, fundamentally sound concepts. Number one, how about you increase the depth a little bit? Get him under center. He's been in shotgun almost all year. Get his ass behind center. Hell, they worked with Elfline and Bozeman both, primarily for this reason. Get some depth on these drops. You know, when you're gun and you're hitching after three steps, or you're doing a one-step even on some of these, you're giving them keys. I know they're not tipping the whole offense, but there's certain elements to this that even I could look at and say, okay, hey, this looks familiar. We're on the top hash, far right hash, if you're looking at it from an offensive perspective. Defensively, it's their left hash. I see a receiver coming in motion. I see a tight end in line. I see a fourth and one. We'll play our run keys, but I'm on the edge here. I've got a chance for a big play. I know this ball is either going to be a glance or an out especially with the pressure we're bringing. So balls coming out quick. It's reaction by action. You get blitz packages that allow that edge player to time it out and play with freedom. Great scheming there. Not too hard to do, but great scheming by Vance Joseph. Um, so what do they do? They, they have to start to diversify a little bit of what they do in the run game. Not just running more. they got to run it more, obviously. Look, and not just to run it to run it. The success rate they have with McCaffrey is fairly good when they do run, particularly to the outside. They tried to do the inside pounding ground stuff against uh, the New Orleans Saints. Much of the same against the Giants. He did get the yards because he is that good. You're not helping him by doing that. It's not about yards. Matt Rule should know better. You know, the, the, these conversations we have in these press conferences about yards, 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 nobody gives a shit. It's about sustained drives. It's about moving chains. Where does that start? It starts by getting bigger gains, more efficient plays on early downs. They did a bit of a better job against this against Arizona. But they still find themselves in third and a mile all the time. And the answer is not to win on third down. That is third-grade bullshit. And it's coach speak, and I get why he's saying that. He doesn't want to have a coaching clinic in front of 20 reporters. But why don't you win first down? Let's work on that a little bit. How about some wide zone on the run game? How about that? How about we go a little wide zone? How about we get McCaffrey involved in the passing game as he should be? He had nine targets, nine receptions in this game. 
half of those came in the fourth quarter. And I'd say half of his yardage came on the final drive when they were losing by 16. And you're not going to get the same type of intensity and coverage and, and honestly, attention placed on him as you otherwise would. They're not pinning their ears back and teeing up. They gave McCaffrey time. He sat back and he had more comfort. That's not always going to be the case. That's not a good sample to pick from. McCaffrey made a great catch over two defenders. Even more reason to get him involved in the passing game. And that concept, by the way, that was not like a Texas or an angle or a, a wheel. That was, it, The last year they ran that play was a you know sweep jet option type of play. That was not what we ran here. That was an all verts. It was all verticals. It was a halfback go. <laughs> you can find it on Madden. And Mayfield just gave him one of those uh, Jake to Smith balls and, and luckily he came down with it. They're not using McCaffrey in the passing game as, as some of the prior coordinators did. The best one, I thought, was Shula. I, you know, Norv did some great things in terms of misdirection. Shula utilized him all over the field. And he didn't play as many snaps because Jonathan Stewart was there. Cam Newton ran the ball. So they knew it was wise to use this guy, the son of a former great wide receiver, a guy who has, at every turn here, you could argue has had, other than maybe Greg Olson, the best hands on the team he's been on. And he's certainly the best route runner on this team. Robbie, look, uh, he's a burner, but they're not running nine routes with Robbie all day. So if they're not going to do that, Maybe do what they did back in 2020, intermediate stuff, mesh concepts, get him the ball and let him get some rack yards. They're not doing that. They're not helping these guys by keeping Shy Smith in the game for as many snaps as they are. They're not helping these guys by not giving Terrace Marshall Jr. or Rashard Higgins more opportunities. And I know Rashard Higgins fumbled a ball. That was a bullshit Mickey Mouse play that never should have happened. And it happened, and you got to execute it. But you're in command of the game. You know, if your identity is, oh, we're going to strap it on and be tough, and this is who we are, you, you, don't, you have no identity on offense until you start winning. This defense has an identity. Their identity is, hey, no matter what, number one, we got you back. Number two, we ain't going to call you out. Number three, okay, turnover, good enough. Let's go get it. They embrace that shit. I get used to it. It's not like Stockholm Syndrome or anything, but it, it definitely is. Like, we know the ball and chain over there. Uh, hey, we know better than the, to, to talk poorly to the, <laughs> the offense as if it's the, the wife or the boyfriend or husband or girlfriend of the relationship. They have a good pulse on things. So they do their job and they do it well. They're in short fields a lot, and they've been very good in those situations. Defense is outstanding. I mean, look, they gave up some stuff late, but you know, your Brian Burns was just terrific. He was all over Kyler in that game. Frankie Louvu, there you go with an you know, offensive uh, score on his own. I mean, it's a defensive touchdown, but he's really outscoring the offense in this game to a large degree. How do you get the passing game corrected? Uh, angle routes, Texas routes, choice routes by McCaffrey. Put him in the slot a little bit. Diversify. Try Foreman out. Get them both in the game. Sprinkles of ideas. Not, I'm not talking about cheesing like on Madden. 
I'm talking about sprinkling in some concepts that are more than just one snap and you're back on the field. It's the same personnel sets. It's You're going to have Trimble, Thomas, Moore, Anderson. Over and over. 21, 12 personnel. It's usually two by two, sometimes with motion. They'll flip it occasionally. And then once in a while, you'll see 11 personnel, typically three by one. With a tight end either in line or slightly detached. You don't see a lot of motion. You saw a little more this time. You don't see any type of misdirective concepts that would give linebackers on the next play a reason to be out of structure on some crossers or some conflicting routes in their zones or in their man principles. It is bad. It is bad offense. It is bland. It is the easiest offense, I would say, to scheme against in the league. And if you think taking Baker Mayfield out of the game for anything that's available right now would make it better, it would not. It would not. He's bad right now. He's got to get better. But it's, it's on the coaching and the coordinator to ensure that that's going to happen. It's on them. It's not on Mayfield, who you went out and, and he took a haircut, took a bath to come here with his salary, and you split the goddamn reps in camp. And I'm sorry. I'm just being as honest as I could be in the name of a quarterback competition that is never going to matter. There's never, ever going to come a time where we look back and say, damn, that was really smart to do that. You know, we thought it was stupid at the time. We challenged it. But, man, look how it worked out. Baker became better and smarter for it. Sam became more ready when he was called on. Sam's on the shelf, and he's still on the shelf, and it's going to be weeks. Now, did they anticipate that? No, but maybe you should. Maybe you should say to yourself, oh, we've got a bona fide starter here that, no, he's not perfect. All the more reason to give him all the reps. All the more reason to give him all the chemistry he can have with Moore and DJ and McCaffrey and his offensive line. Not to mention his goddamn offensive coordinator. But, you know, God forbid, you know, during all that at training camp, I said what I said. I was critical. And I said, look, let's just let it play out. I'm not a coach. What do I know? It was a stupid fucking idea. And I don't care if it has any correlation or not, whether you can investigate it, prove it. It really, there's no way to, to really prove it. It is subjective. And I think it was subjectively, for my end, stupid. And it was objectively unnecessary. They gain nothing by doing that. And people say, oh, it's uh, John, it's preseason. You know, the first quarter of the season is really an extension. Bullshit. Yeah, if you've got five rings... And you're Belichick, you say whatever you want. This is year three for Matt Rule. Hit the ground running. And when you're losing in the margins, and you see things during camp that waste time, fights in New England. When you see things like running laps after doing the dance, or the, the, the Higgins thing, where they're the, they, they got to run a lap after a touchdown. Fair enough. But when you're rotating these quarterbacks and rotating Bozeman and Elfline, look, Bozeman and Elfline are all fine centers. Pick one. Rotating them didn't help Elfline. 
<laughs> I mean, if you like Pat, start the guy. He was an all-pro, all-rookie, I think. All-rookie pro football's writer association, whatever it was. He was very good as a center in Minnesota in his first year. He stinks at guard, typically. And it's not all his fault. But damn, I mean, all the things we talked about that could have been critical factors here. And I speak very plainly on this show. I always have. And for those who operate around that team, please call me if you have a problem with the way I'm presenting this. It's more than fair. More than fair. This is a tough business. You go to New York, Philly, Boston, L.A., any of those markets, you're getting your ass roasted nonstop. It has been more than fair for Matt Rule. More than fair. The people in that press corps covering this team who are all pros, they have been more than fair. And for fans out there that continue to suffer through this unreasonably bad imbalance of a football team, the answer is not necessarily fire the coach right this second. The answer is for the coach to stop doing bad things, to stop being not great, to start being a better coach, to start leaning on better people. That's what this whole idea was. Now, if they start one and three and they go on a tear, I'm right back here eating my words. It's not even that. It's like, eat my words. I got the receipts, John. You Please save your receipts. I'm saving this one. I can't wait to come back on this show in 10 weeks and say, look at them. They're seven and four. That would be a dream come true for me because then my three kids wouldn't be miserable all day thinking about how bad their team sucks right now when they really don't, when they really don't. Which leads me to my last point. Ah, that was good therapy. <laughs> Look, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to lie to you. Now, was Orlovsky right about tipping play? I, I thought that was a little overcooked, but this, this offense is entirely too easy to scheme against. If they lose McCaffrey... At any point, and there was a bit of a scare last week, although you had some people in the media, you know, clapping back, oh, you guys should know better by now. It's a... When he's on the fucking injury report up to Thursday, don't tell me to relax for a guy who's averaged five games a year under Matt Rule's tenure. So, yeah, maybe a few of the, the folks in the media world who, I don't know, get, get a little snarky in terms of, oh, the team is doing everything fine. Just... Relax and believe in it. No, I think we're two years past that phase there, Ace. Here's the good stuff, okay? So, got all that out of the way. And by the way, none of that was negative. That's honesty. That's honesty. You talk to enough players, I'll do this. I talk to players every week. That's one of the things I love doing on the weekends is I've got a little text group going with former players. A couple former Panthers are in that text group. And we'll be talking about the real world. The real world of the NFL, how things are discussed. It sounds a little bit like that. And am I trying to be, you know, discount Dan Campbell? No, I'm not. No. Do I know enough football to know what I'm looking at? Yeah, I do. Do I know enough football to be a head coach? No. So stop with this bullshit that, you know, people that study the game for 20 years who devote their life to this as well as being a part of a 27-year journey with this franchise, seeing the ups and downs, the highs and lows, the peaks and valleys, and now going through what I would imagine could be defined by so many metrics, but also by just the eye 
and the feel and the vibes. This is the bleakest three-year stretch of offensive ineptitude and quarterback play that I recall seeing in this franchise. And when that starts in, look, you start telling people you need to be patient, whatever. I've, I've told you about that side. This team is good, not bad. They're one and three, and they're not bad. Defensively, they're one of the better units in the league in the red zone. They're one of the better units in the league all of a sudden in the pass game and in the run game. They have cleaned that up. They have potential superstars, if not already superstars, in these key positions. Edge, Brian Burns. Sam Backer slash Edge, Frankie Louvu. He's well on his way. All right, I got enough. I, as they said, the, the guy that covers the elections, I've seen enough. I've seen enough on Frankie Louvu. I saw enough in, in the Jets tape. He was showing some flashes. You give him the keys to the car. Now, look, Reddick was a good player. Frankie can do a little more now. Maybe not as dynamic as a pass rusher, but Frankie will give you what you need in the turnover game. He'll give you what you need in terms of spark and attitude. It's been lifeless around here since the old guard left. They needed a guy like that. Jeremy Chin, unfortunately, who's on IR right now for at least four weeks, he is rock solid. And you can put him where you need to put him. You can put him at free. You can put him in the box. You can line him up on the line to either, you know, force the run or you can play him in the slot, match him up against the tight end. He's not always perfect, but he's a physical presence and he doesn't often make mental mistakes. He is a physical presence. And he's got the chance to blossom into one of the better safeties in this league if you don't already consider him to be such. Derek Brown has suddenly become what Derek Brown needed to be. Top-line, Haloti-Nada type of player. That's who he is. That's what he always was. And that's what he's doing. He's getting you pressure with the bull rush. He's not a three-technique. He's not going to split. You know, two guys like Warren Sapp or Aaron Donald. But he's holding his point of attack, and he's getting it done. And the role players they've added around them, they're they're more than sufficient right now. J.C. Horn is exceptional. That tape I just watched, it wasn't as good as the New Orleans tape, but my God, he's good. They put him everywhere, slot, put him in corner. Need a safety? Now you might have to a little bit. He can play everywhere. He's got great technique. He sees the field so well. He takes good angles on his tackles. One of the things about him coming out of college, they were saying the tackling, look out. Uh, (laughs) He's not afraid to, and he does it with great technique. Miles Hartsfield, up and down sometimes. Nice little role player. All right. Defense is fine. Ioannidis has been great. He has been fantastic. He has been a, just go look at his tape. He has been a huge impact player for what they do. Huge impact player. And you've got a litany of role players, YGM and others, that Demarcus Haynes, uh, these guys have all been instrumental in some of their wins. When you build an NFL team, um, there's different philosophies out there. But, but generally speaking, those are corners, cornerstones, I should say, of a good franchise. Certain positions. Shut down corner, elite pass rusher, Good left tackle, good quarterback. Yeah. Well, I think they've got a good left tackle in Nicky Aquano, at least a good one right now. 
he's gotten much better the last two weeks. I think when you're an eighth overall pick, the idea is most of those guys end up being good to great. Most, not all, but most. And his scouting report was fantastic coming out of NC State. You can always move him to guard. But here's what I'll say. Been a while since Carolina has been this competent and consistent on the defensive front and the offensive front. They're playing together. Injuries do happen, knock on wood. So far, not bad. The offensive line has built great continuity. Their run-blocking win rate is exceptional. And I confirmed that by looking at the tape, but Seth Walter from ESPN put those stats out yesterday. We shared them with you. Four of the five O-linemen for the Panthers are in the top 10 in terms of run-blocking win rate. How often do they win their blocks in the run game? And they do. They do it a number of ways. Power, duo, a little bit of zone, combo blocks, a little trap game. Problem is quarterback. Problem is maybe the the sequencing of play calling and the personnel utilization, non-innovative concepts. And it's not even innovative. It's just what we said about McCaffrey. I mean, they're using him in ways that are so elementary right now. It, it makes my head spin. Uh, the routes are, you know, they're being run fine, but I don't see any Justin Jeffersons out there. DJ Moore is a great player, but you know, don't, don't do an unfair justice by saying, <laughs> well, why is the media not comparing him to <laughs> Devontae Adams? Well, Devontae early in his career, a little taller, but but was not a very good route runner and didn't get great separation. He learned it. I think Aaron Rodgers had a big part to do with that, as did a great coaching staff up there. DJ will give you production if you give him the ball. But you're either going to let him win one-on-one boundary routes up the nines, or you're going to run the mesh crossers and get the ball in his hands. Maybe run a few dig routes, but you know they're kind of doing a lot of these back shoulder things on the boundary. It's it's low percentage stuff, and Mayfield's not in a position to be hitting those. It's like the Aaron Rodgers back shoulder stuff to Adams. They've done that a lot off the RPO. It's a lot, and Mayfield is way below the <laughs> the Mendoza line to be nailing those. Not only because, <laughs> first of all, he's not Aaron Rodgers. Very few are. Secondarily. They need to really be thinking about simplifying what they're doing, given the lack of time he's been here. And when I say simplifying what you're doing, I'm not saying making the offense more vanilla. I'm saying simplifying what you're asking Mayfield to do, which is not throw into about a two-by-two-foot window on a boundary shot on a third and ten or a third and seven. And don't waste a first down by calling a, you know, a 10% win rate percentage play to that boundary. Get yards. Lean on McCaffrey. Lean on Foreman. Lean on an offensive line that's got it going. I I think McAdoo can fix this. And I think if he doesn't, he could be replaced. I think Mayfield can fix this. And if he doesn't, I think he could be replaced. They're building some things now that are irreplaceable and that are sustainable. That offensive line, if they stay together, can grow into what 2008's was which I still think was the best five ever. Now, Elfline is not Khalil, I know that. And Gross it is still considered to be better than Aquana. But Moten is a very, very damn good right tackle. 
very good. And Corbett and Christensen have been outstanding this season. Outstanding. Everything I imagined they would be, especially Corbett. So one move I kept telling you about, you know, this guy played about 2,200 snaps past two years for the world champs. And he understands everything you need to do. Pass blocking, run blocking, calls, concepts, pull blocking, reach blocking, zone blocking, anything you want. Um, they've got the foundation. All right, they do. They do not have the quarterback. Mayfield needs to be average. If he can be average, he is the worst in the league right now, you could argue. Maybe you couldn't. (laughs) But it takes everybody to be a part of that. And I'm not going to excuse the coordinator. There are basic concepts that he's starting to pepper in now that give this offense a more um, unpredictable pre-snap flair. And it makes your offense less executable from a defensive side. And I'm trying to keep it as simple as I can because I don't have five hours to talk about, you know, defensive theory versus offensive theory, and we can do that one day. But I know when I put on the tape, I know what I'm looking at. I know I'm looking at routes that continue to kind of have the same flow and feel. And I see a quarterback who is not comfortable right now in clean pockets. And I see a coordinator who's not helping him out at all, at all, by limiting one of the best players on the planet, Christian McCaffrey, to eight carries in the game, six in the first half of a close game, while at the same time, you get him his nine targets. But once again, folks, half of those were on that final drive in the fourth quarter. And half his yards that game were on the final two catches he made. Just understand. A lot of talk out there about, oh, McCaffrey, the passing threat is back. No, it's not. No, until they utilize him right. Uh, I'm not expecting the screen game to be here anytime soon. The tight end involvement. I mean, cut. Let's start. My principal, just foundational theory about this is you always start with coaching and structure I don't like bashing players until I look at tape and I don't like bashing even then they're not scheming any of these tight ends open that should be schemed open Sullivan is your guy to be doing that with Thomas is your guy to be doing that with there are so many mouths you can feed I get that but the great offenses put playmakers out there and all of a sudden somebody else emerges because oh now shit As a defense, we know the old Panthers that ran the same concepts consistently now have some new personnel in the field. Who's this Higgins guy? Oh, Marshall, geez, this guy's big as shit. He's in the slot. He's wearing 88. (laughs) That's that's Michael Irvin. It's hyperbole, but look, these things do matter. You put McCaffrey out wide once in a while. But you've got to attack defenses where they can be attacked. That Arizona defense was a bad third-down defense coming in. You thought that was hard. This defense they're looking at this week, D'Amico Ryans, his unit with Fred Warner in the middle, and and their front seven. Yeah, I mean, look, you, you just the offensive line can get up to that test. 
but the slightest bit of pressure is going to put Mayfield in a panic. And this is where he's going to have to find himself. And there's a big debate out there as to whether or not is that it's is that an epidemic? Is that something like with Darnold that turns into your identity? And I think with Mayfield, since he has proven at times in a system that worked his skill set better and insulated him a little more, he can do what you need to get to a playoff run. That Cleveland team from 2020 was extremely talented. I would argue that this team right now is trending in that direction. They have the most dynamic running back in the game of football in Christian McCaffrey. They have a brand new blue chip left tackle who is getting better every week. They have four other guys along that line that are putting out just world-class tape. You have DJ Moore who will get the ball and take it the distance on any given play if he can just get his hands on it. Robbie Anderson, I can't figure out the best way to use him other than just keep him in the game, give him opportunities on tunnel screens, and then let him take you over the top. Is he a bad route runner? No, he's not. But is he taking games over? No, he's not. Part of that's on Mayfield. Part of that's on the coordinator. Part of that's on Robbie. Part of that's on the other team that covers him. But Anderson had 1,000 yards his first year here. You know, a lot of those came from just Teddy dumping them off. Run out to catch, run out to catch. Occasionally, boom, over the top. Um, defensive line is set. Okay? It's set. With the way they structure what they do. Now, you can add another edged piece. I think Dunlap was that guy. They passed. Hughes could have been that guy. They passed. A lot of three down fronts. A lot of that 43 stuff that Pete would run and have a Leo as sort of the pass rush specialist and that would be obviously Burns and then you've got a Sam on that other side, that strong side, which would be Laveau. And either can rotate. Yeah, You could work in both ways there. Horn is the big one. Like I said, you've got a cornerback there who will be here for a long time and he's got it. He's a dog. He played 74 snaps on that Sunday game. You know, just Sam Mills would have been proud. I can tell you that. So they got to figure out what the issue is. Is it the quarterback? Is it the coordinator? Or is it both? Because it ain't nothing else. It's one or the other or both. Okay? That's it. That, I mean, that, that, I hate to say it. That's it. There's nuances throughout game plans and film study. We can say this guy could have done better. That guy could have done better. I'm not grading a lot of guys out negatively right now except for two. The guy calling the plays and installing the game plan and the guy back there trying to throw the ball. They're giving Mayfield a lot of pre-snap freedom, and I don't know if that's the best idea right now either. Doesn't seem to be working. So I'm not here to bash Ben McAdoo. I've said nice things about him all offseason. He's well-respected. He knows quarterbacks. He's been in this league a long time. He was a head coach of a team that went to a playoffs. That's not Eli Manning back there. Eli wasn't perfect, but Eli could stand in the pocket, deliver fearlessly. Mayfield is too erratic. It's not just with his arm. He's got to settle in and stop doing this bullshit he's been doing. He's got to stop missing. He had pockets in that game that were clean. He missed the short one to Anderson where he had to slide and go get it. That's got to stop. He's got to get better. So can they make the playoffs this year? I don't know. 
Tough stretch coming up. Will Matt Rule be fired? I don't care. I don't. I, I wish him all the best. I'm not in that business. I, I would just say that you probably should try to hold on to Scott, and I know a lot of people are going to disagree with me on that. You definitely try to retain Dan Morgan, and you let those guys, if they do come to an agreement with Matt Rule that it's time to move on, you go find a coach that fits what you want. And you don't let the owner dictate that or drive that. And if he does, then you need to be concerned about, why did I take this job? Because that Matt Rule, David Tepper experience was never going to be easy. And it is not good. I am tired of feeling guilty and being made to feel guilty from even people in my industry for having the nerve to be fair and critical about this coach who now has a 297 winning percentage in the National Football League after signing veteran after veteran after veteran after firing coordinators, after hiring new coordinators, after, let's be honest, being in the interview room and helping Tepper hire the general manager. It's year two And we're into the second quarter of year three. And while the foundational pieces of this team are better, I don't give Matt Rule any more credit for that than I do to the front office for scouting and give the scouts some goddamn credit too because they don't get talked about ever and they like it that way. Give Dan Morgan and Samir some credit and Pat Stewart and give... The players some credit. Give the position coaches some credit. Phil Snow should stay. I don't care what happens. Like I said, I don't know what's going to happen with Matt Rule, but I know a 297 winning percentage is an absolute embarrassment. And I don't understand why some people come after me when you have no skin in that game. Leave me alone. God damn. (laughs) If you want to be a supporter of everything this franchise does, and I think I know why you'd want to do that. I've been (laughs) saying my first rodeo. I know the business works. Please do that. But don't paint me as the guy that, oh, he's a cheap shot artist. Fuck out of here with that. God almighty. I've been extremely fair to Matt Rule. I have very fair, and I've been complimentary of a lot of things he's done. But I'm not going to compliment a 297 winning percentage. We're two and a quarter's year into this thing. And when you lose that many games, when you're scoring that few points, 17-point margin, 24 straight losses, and when you have a horrid track record of quarterbacks coming into your building and regressing versus their career averages, when you have a track record of not identifying the right type of personnel that needs to be on your staff when you have a track record of losing close games and having opportunities to go on game-winning drives and your operation fails every single time, that is a problem. That is not normal. That is not winning behavior. That is not building a culture. That is not building a foundation. And it's putting the players in a real weird spot. Because they have to go out there and defend this. And to their credit, they do that because they're pros. They've got a damn good locker room. You want to give rule credit for that? Go ahead. 
You want to say Rule should get credit for the good defense? Fair enough. Rule's primary job is to win games. And we're at a point where it's supposed to be happening. And the fact that it's not happening is not the most frustrating part. The fact that it's not happening, and the problem is the quarterback and the coordinator almost almost exclusively is unbelievably frustrating because take a wild guess as to who was in charge largely at least with one of the moves and bringing those two individuals together here you guessed it matthew rule one of the good college coaches of our time program builder But when they told me that, when they hired him, I just said, hey, you know, (laughs) be careful. Nick Saban lasted two years. Nick Saban was a far more advanced NFL mind. Bobby Petrino lasted, what, six six weeks. He had legitimate experience in this league beforehand. Don't tell me about Pete Carroll. Do your research first. All right, so this team has players that can play. This team has a couple of guys on that staff that have been improvements. Steve Wilkes, James Campen, Chris Tabor. Um, I can give Matt Rule credit all day in the world for that. Do I think he wanted to go out and fire his assistants? No, I do not. Do I think he single-handedly recruited these coaches? Maybe he did. I think that the Wilkes move was probably somebody else in the organization. That's just my gut feeling. And if Matt Rule has that much power to be making autonomous moves on his own staff right now, that's a problem too. You have to earn that. And Matt should know that. And Matt knows, look, if he and I are ever in a room together, which we've never been, and if he knows who I am, which I suppose he might, but that's fine. I'd hope he would have enough grace, as would I, to shake hands and say, we each work in a business where we have to perform. Your job is to win football games. My job is to help fans understand what's going right, what's going wrong. End of story. If we use a bad word once in a while, I think we both have been guilty of that. If we call people out once in a while publicly, yeah, he and I have both been guilty of that. But... That's a silly narrative anyway, because I don't think he and I are going to ever spend more than two minutes in a conversation. If we do, I'd welcome that. But that's not important. It's football. It's production. It's schematics. It's design, play calling, execution. That is what builds culture. You don't come in and build culture and, and, you know, bring in Sherwin-Williams and start painting words on the wall that you like. Versus words that have worked here for a while. That's that's branding. That's not culture. There's a big difference between branding and culture. Culture is is the organic. Culture is Frankie Louvo. All right? Culture is Brian Burns. Culture is, you know, McCaffrey. Culture is Taylor Moten, who doesn't say a word, but does his job every week. Culture is not words. It's deeds, man. It's deeds. So this team is good. This team has a good roster. This team has a quarterback in crisis at the moment. 
and a coordinator who doesn't seem to be good at making adjustments to help him or the rest of the operation. It is a 2002 Panthers type of makeup. Except this O-line is better, and they have a better running back. And oh, by the way, they have better receivers. Well, that's debatable. Let me take that one back. They had Smith and Moose that year. What the hell am I saying? (laughs) These receivers aren't bad. They're more than capable. There's enough skill on that field to be scoring 25, 30 points a game, to be cooking. But if you want to take the air out of the ball, take the air out of the ball and run it more. You want to shorten the game? Shorten the game. I don't know why you'd want to with the skill players you have and with a line that can hold up. But it's the quarterback and the coordinator. It starts there. And that starts with the head coach. They got to get in a room, get this shit figured out. Because I look at that tape over and over and over. I don't see Robbie doing anything different route-wise than he was doing two years ago in terms of intensity, hustle, angles. He's working his routes. DJ is working his routes the best he can. McCaffrey is not running enough of what he should be. Run him into the middle 20 times. I don't care if it works, it works. But you are condensing the field to a predictable scope in terms of what you have to defend at that point. Inside run, inside run, left tackle, left tackle, left guard, left guard, center, left guard, A, B gap, B gap, A gap. Some of the best runs have come from hitting the edge. Um, So, again, those are observations. Uh, If they can find a way to start cleaning up some of the things that bring them down now while not blowing the whole thing up, you've got foundational pieces. Brown, Burns, Horn, Chin, Luvu. That entire offensive line right now is good enough to get you to the playoffs. I'll say that. Miles ahead of where they were last year. Probably the best line he's had since he's been here, Matt Rule. Give him credit wherever you feel like he deserves it. But, you know, just be fair on your end, too. And there are less and less people out there that act that way. If you were ever vocally critical in a fair way about Matt Rule back in 2020, oh, boy. Oh, boy, you better watch your mentions. You better watch yourself. Hide out. Because Tepper's army was... Remember Tepper's army? They were coming for you. Oh, yeah, you know, Tep tailgated. First game ever. He was out there, you know, and I'm not blaming the Roaring Riot for this. I love those guys. Uh, in fact, I like some of the, the responses they've had to some of what's happened. Good on y'all. But he's out there tailgating. He's, he's feeling himself, man. Gets a big first win. My brother told me something very important to remember about David Tepper when that happened. He said, John, none of these guys are us. None of these guys will ever be us. And David Tepper is an owner like the other owners. And uh, just understand that there will be some bleak times during this rebuild. And let's see how that goes. Let's see if he's out there tailgating. Um, I don't care about any of that anymore. I'm curious to see what's next. Jason Lockin for uh, reports from the Washington Post, and he's been right about 50% of the time, it seems, and that's not a shot. I mean, it's a hard business. He's been trying to report that Matt Rule's about to get fired for about two years now. <laughs> Apparently, he's saying there's some real strife within the organization now, and one of the things that are going on, and I can, this part of it I could see. 
the Tepper being the numbers guy that he is, and that's at times I think what gets him into trouble here, he is really crunching down. Maybe I'm theorizing here, Dave. So don't, and I'm not in a basement. I'm in a studio. It's not a studio basement. <laughs> It's it's a it's a calculation on two wins. Number one, okay, is firing Matt Rule right now going to help my team be better long term or even short term? I don't think it's as easy to say. Okay, slide Steve Wilkes in and it magically gets better. Um, Matt Rule's game management stuff hasn't been terrible, but he's in charge of the whole operation, and uh, he has a heavy hand on the offense. And the offense is bad right now, so he's got to ask himself that. He's got to decide at some point, you know, what what is my, what are my parameters? What do I expect? I mean, if we're from one and seven, where, where do we go from here? Does the outside noise impact me? Does the crowd impact me? Um, the the fan base. Do I care about them enough to to, to well? I would say this: the owner should be competent enough to lean on people in that building besides himself. So, I would hope he's involving Dan Morgan and Scott Fitterer among others in those decisions and not his buddies in terms of uh, the, the soccer. Well, of course he doesn't have too many of those. <laughs> it's turnover city over there. Good team though. Um, most importantly though, I, I think he's trying to calculate the, the financials here. Lock and four wrote that. I could see that. Um, but the bigger picture here is deciding, okay, the fact that they're not talking actively about his job security, Matt and Dave together, I can totally believe that. If you're telling me that Matt Rule is safe right now, I don't know if I believe that. If you're telling me that Tepper doesn't at least have discussions privately with people he considers to be long-term people in this organization, I can think of a few that I won't mention. I think those conversations probably are happening. That doesn't mean anybody's getting fired. And I don't wish it on anybody. But strategic planning has to be in place right now. Unless you want to just go through another season where it gets really ugly. You don't fire the coach to please fans that are chanting fire Matt Rule. That's not, that's not sound strategy. Uh, you have to be ready to accept whatever comes next if you do let him go. This team is good enough to push for an NFC playoff berth. The standings show it. The metrics show it. It is a highly competitive conference in not a great way. Eight wins, nine wins can get you there. And people say, oh, what's the point of getting there if you're just going to get your teeth kicked in? Well, it's a big point of getting there. Number one, it's the fucking playoffs. Y'all are such babies sometimes. I swear to fucking God. It, it's the playoffs. Do you know how long it's been? And do you know how often you have seen a team slip in the back door and that fan base say, oh, what was the point of getting in? I was going to get in in late wins and get our ass stomped. Go talk to Eli Manning about that. You know, you go talk to the 05 Panthers who had to sneak in. I think is a five or six seed, and they they eviscerated two of the Giants in the uh, NFC playoffs, New York and, and Chicago. Talk to the 03 Panthers about 
being graded out from an EPA perspective on metrics as being one of the worst Super Bowl performing teams in the history of the league. Go do the EPA numbers in their playoff games where they put up 29 against Dallas, 29 at St. Louis, both top tier defenses, by the way. And they go to Philly and they hold McNabb and his injured ribs to three points. Yeah, how hard it is. to <laughs> So I just don't tell me that it's not important. It's vitally important. It's everything. That is the first gate. Get a playoff berth. Punch your ticket. The intensity level is unmatched. You get yourself into playoffs, you grow as an organization. You grow as a franchise. You grow as players. Brian Burns, Jeremy Chin, Derek Brown, all these guys. McCaffrey's been to the playoffs once. He's played one playoff game. DJ Moore, they all deserve that opportunity. And if they're being held back by one or two things, that, that's got to change. So we'll see what the owner does. We'll see what the owner does. I'm frustrated for you guys, as I always say. I'm fine. I'm good. But they have got to start figuring out this thing with the passing game. Batted balls are going to be what they're going to be. That's not going to stop. And the inefficiencies in the passing game are bad. And until they figure out a way to scheme people for Mayfield with this amazing running back they have in a very good line, they could be doing a lot of good things there, and they're not. They're putting him in shotgun, and they're telegraphing way too much. That doesn't mean they're tipping plays, folks. I don't want to get a nasty gram on that. They are way too predictable for the personnel they have. And if you're telling me, well, we have to be that way, it's early in the season, we're growing, well, time's running out. You go six, seven wins this year, that's improvement. You'd like to have a few of those others back where just by virtue of not being a little more, I don't know, a little less staunch with the playbook, it's just bad, man. It's quarterback play. It's footwork. It's non-diligence in the pocket. And it's the coordination of this offense, not only in terms of play calling, but personnel utilization. It's Shai Smith. I like him. He's got to get off the field. They need to give Marshall an opportunity to have a jersey. You draft and develop. They are doing that with Shai. It's been okay. Find another punt returner for a couple weeks. It's not like you've got Josh Cribbs back there for crying out loud. And get Marshall some valuable reps. But the most important thing here is just to win. Win ugly, win pretty, do what you want. John Fox and Ron Rivera early on, they were able to win ugly. That's how they kept their jobs. And then they eventually got on a roll because winning builds confidence. And they can't open up anything right now if they can't start winning. So congrats to the win against New Orleans. I give them all the credit in the world. But when you you lose Chenault the next week, okay, there you go. There's your offense. Your offense is bubble to Chenault. Your offense is... 75 yards to Sam Mills. Your offense oh, is McCaffrey 39 yard run. Panthers win in overtime. Newton steps Chunk up. Chunk plays with oh, Will Ford. Touchdown.
lack of sustainability Brian on first and second third. To the house! And of possession is caught for the touchdown by Moore. And in the foot race, McCaffrey and that's not to the down. end zone. All right. He so, pounded on three. One, two, three. He as we move forward this week, more film study, more uh, analysis at One Panther Place. Appreciate you guys Let me have an honest chat with you about where this team is in my view. These are the opinions of me and me only. So let me make that real clear. Billy Marshall will be back with us here on Friday with a preview of 49ers and Panthers. What a matchup that's going to be, huh? Another 405 game for the West Coasters. That's just not right. <laughs> and the Panthers are looking to get back into the race. Look, this is how I look at it. They win Sunday. They're two and three. They're in the wild card race. It's early, but it's never too early to start thinking in those terms. You need to stay in the race in a league that has never been filled with more parity. Half the teams in the league have two losses right now. Half. Get yourself to two and three, clean this shit up, and then start thinking about how you're going to go on the road and beat a Rams team that, quite frankly, can be had right now. Got to win this game. Just like you had to win the other three you lost. You could be 4-0 right now. You win and lose in the margins. And at the end of the day, that is on coaching. That is coaching, coaching, coaching. You're in charge of install. You're in charge of preparation, play calling, development, all of it. The personnel is there. And Matt may have had a hand in that to a degree. But that's Morgan. That's your college scouting department. That's on a large scale, Scott Fitterer. And Rule deserves credit for that to whatever degree he's involved. But Scott doesn't coach the team, and neither does Dan. Neither does Samir. That's Matt Rule's job, to have his team ready. They play hard, they play fast, and their passing game and the lack of angles in the running game that aren't sustainable will hold them back, and it would be one of the more tragic seasons that I've ever watched from this team. Because they are, as Matt Rule would say, close. They're close. But they're held back by two very important things right now. Let's see if they can fix it. Hey, I'm John Ellis. Y'all have a good day. Smile a little bit. Happy hump day. We'll talk to you next time on Blue Wire. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.